Just one more time before I share meditation this morning. Just a reminder, we're going to invite you to come up and at your leisure, you know, don't feel like you have to pressure the person in front of you or, you know, if you come up as family or however you want to handle that. But just feel free to come up and partake of the, the communion offering, the, the communion this morning and take it back to your seat or however you want to handle that. But like I say we do ask that you just throw your trash in the trash cans when you're done. And then offering will be in the plates in the back whenever, after service or whenever you feel comfortable doing that. So, Just in the, the midst of all the, the chaos around us, we do seek to, to have some uh, routineness about the things we do. And you know, the kids are going to be all in a, in a mix this coming weeks with school being out and stuff. And so routines are going to be off. And you know, we're, one thing we want to try to do is try to maintain some some routine, some normal routine to the things we do. And this morning I want to share a meditation with you. It's just titled The, the Grapes of Peace um, by Daniel Schwartz. So- Song of Solomon 2.13 says, The blossoming grapevines spread their fragrance. The grape juice our churches use for communion was developed by Thomas Welch, a minister, a physician, in the 1860s. He thought it hypocritical for preachers to oppose drinking 
and then serve alcoholic wine for the Lord's Supper. Once grapes, since grape juice contains its own leaven, he used pasteurization to stop the fermentation. Welch's Grape Juice Company resulted as his effort to sell juice to churches. But the choice of the grape juice as a symbol of Christ was entirely God's idea. It was a perfect choice because the grape is rich in symbolism. The grape symbolizes beauty. A vineyard is a place of charm. Clusters of pearl, purple pearls hanging from leathery vines, accented with, with crepe leaves, crepe green leaves. Drenched with, with dew, these orbs of sweetness are mouth-watering to behold. Could any fruit better represent the fairest Lord Jesus? The blood of the grape was the ideal choice to illustrate the liquid love that dissolves the sin of the world. The grape symbolizes life. The fruit of the vine has always been a symbol of the good life, a toast of joy, friendship, and success. Furthermore, the healthy benefits of grapes are, are now widely known and appreciated. Since, since grapes are grown on every continent except Antarctica, the symbol is recognized by every civilization on earth. The blood of Christ is a life-saving transfusion. Jesus said to his disciples, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. John 6, 53. The grape symbolizes sacrifice. To make grape juice, the grape must give up its life. Trampled by bare feet and sque or squeezed in a press, the grapes lose their pretty shape and their beautiful skins are discarded. The squeezing of the grapes is like the crushing of the life of Christ for our sins. When he, when he was ex executed in our place, the grape symbolizes sweetness. 20 to 30% of the grape is sugar, making it one of the sweetest fruits you can eat. Imagine for a moment picking wash tubs of grapes from an arbor. Imagine the smell as they cook in a big pot, and then pressed through a funnel-shaped colander to remove the seeds and skins. The house fills with the amorosa of fresh grapes, the fragrance that lingers for days. Beauty, life, sacrifice, sweetness. They all come together in Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we come to this time of communion this morning, Lord, as we prepare our hearts and we reflect upon these emblems, Lord, the loaf and the cup, the loaf which you set aside to remind us of the body that was beaten, and the cup, Lord, to remind us of the blood that flowed, but Lord, to remind us of their cleansing power, for upon that cross, you sent Jesus a sacrifice for each of us. And Lord, as we come to this time of communion, a time to lay our sins and our, our transgressions at your feet, Lord, a time to ask for your forgiveness and a time to reflect upon that sacrifice. 
And Lord, as we look at the events around us today and the, the precautions that we, we seek to take, Lord, we seek your guidance. And Lord, we seek that you help us remain confident and strong in you. Lord, we, we raise this, this loaf and this cup in your name. Amen. I was going to encourage everybody to save the little muffin tins so we can reuse them next week, but that would defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? Okay. Well, we're all in this together, as they say. Whether we want to be in it or not, we have enacted universal precautions. I was wondering if we could just make it statewide precautions and make it a little easier on us, but now we're going to do the whole universe We'll keep the universe safe here. So we're going to abide by the, the uh, instructions that have been given to us and try to cooperate and participate the best we can. But we know that our great physician, Christ Jesus, is the one who watches out for us and others. So we want to lift them up in prayer and to do every, everything we can to keep them safe. 
in uh, offering any kind of relief effort we can. The elders and I have been talking about uh, anything that we can do for one another. Uh, if you're elderly and you don't want to go do any grocery shopping, um, there will be plenty of people uh, going to do the grocery shopping. You can call me or one of the elders and we can work things out. Uh, we can deliver it right to your front door and uh, then knock on the door and run. And it'll be the best uh, gift you'll ever receive uh, with that trick. So, and then if you're in need of meals, uh, something like that, something uh, uh, that's required will let us know too. And we can pass the word around and maybe a neighbor close to you can make a meal for you and bring it over. And pass this along to your elderly friends or those who are in need as well. As far as uh, helping out with grade school kids at this particular point, we haven't made any plans or had any strategies to develop, but if you have ideas uh, how we can help uh, outside of uh, having, uh, you know, 200 kids show up here each day for lunch, uh, which we wouldn't be able to do anyway, uh, if you have some ideas, please let us know about that. Okay, with that, I'm going to let our grade school kids uh, head on out, or, and our preschool kids head on out to uh, be with Uncle Andrew back there. He's going to try to get you to eat dog food. Don't let him do it, okay? He's going to try. Don't. Well, you might want to try it. I don't know. Uh, teenagers, you're stuck with me. <laughs> and I'm going to be watching you guys to make sure your eyes are open and you're awake. I don't have any cookies to bribe you like Lois, but we're going to do our best. Lois and Frank uh, let me know early on that uh, they have been ordered by their family to stay indoors, and so uh, she's not going to be able to teach us. But we do welcome anybody who is with us here uh, with our live stream on Facebook. I personally apologize for the uh, camera. Uh, it's not the most high-powered camera, as you, you could see. You might want to go home later and, and watch it. You can do that later on. But um, we're glad to have those who have already commented that they're with us and praying for us, and we appreciate that so very, very much. Today we're going to continue our Luke 3 and Me series. We're going to just keep going and pray that God will uh, do a miracle here in this nation where we'll have some ease of the, the issues that are, are causing the concern and be back to normal soon. Uh, if there will ever be another normal, maybe we'll never shake hands again. Maybe we will never hug again. I don't know. I really miss that, but we'll, we'll see. For you germaphobe, you're probably going, yeah, this is, the, this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> All right, so we've been, uh, we've been doing our Luke 3 and Me series, and of course, uh, we are looking at uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 23 and following, where Jesus reveals the genealogy of his uh, heritage, his lineage. And our question has been, for the entire year, how do we connect through Christ all those who are mentioned? Because obviously, they are part of the story, uh, the narrative of God in this world. And when we consider the narrative of God in the, this world, the reason that that's important is that it doesn't mean that those who are not a part of the narrative are unimportant. It just means that God has chosen this particular story to help all of us connect to that which is. We're going to look at a guy by the name of Abraham today. Maybe you've heard of Abraham. Abraham is, as we'll mention, is very significant. 
But when we have been talking about his father last week, Tara was the one who, for some reason, got and moved, got up and moved them away from Ur. And they got as far as Haran. There, Tara stayed and he passed away. Then later, Abraham made the journey on into what would become the promised land later. So we're continuing that story of why Abraham has made this move from his home to the to Canaan. Last week we talked about the issue of idolatry and how that probably was a significant part and we used the uh, proof of that in that when God gave us his commandments the first few commandments had to do with idolatry and how we worship him. But we have a question before us today and that is when it comes to Abraham my first uh, my first title for this was Awesome Abraham, because when you think about the awesome um, impact that he's had, well, then you would connect that word. But then I started listening to the text and reading the text, so I listened through it several times, and then I read it through a couple times, and I was trying to find the awesomeness in there, and uh, it was uh, it's a story that may not be just filled with all kinds of heroic acts, so... I thought about what maybe you should name the, the title of the message should be Average Abraham. But he's not average, obviously. So we've got to figure out how he is both awesome and average at the same time. And the reason that we do that, and you're probably ahead of me, is because we can be both average and awesome at the same time. Now, historically, who would you say is the most important person that ever lived, not including Jesus Christ. We're going to just take him out of the equation because he, we know that he's number one, all right? Who would you say is the most important that ever lived? Now, say what you will. Some might say um, Madonna or, I don't know, you know, whomever kids might say these days. They wouldn't say Madonna, would they? Who would you say? Beyonce. Beyonce. Yeah, I know Beyonce. You know Beyonce? Has she crossed over our generations? Wow. We need to have coffee and talk about Beyonce. So you might say someone like that or some uh, world leader or like Gandhi or someone evil like Hitler. I don't know. But say what you will, but the one who continues to have the most influence, apart from Christ, of course, over more people in this world today than any other is, you guessed it, don't whisper it, say it out loud, Abraham. You're afraid you were wrong. You, you thought I was going to set you up and then embarrass you here on live stream, right? All right, now I'm going to try to avoid that. Did you know that 60% of the 7.3 billion people who live on this planet, 60%, that's 6 out of 10, they identify Abraham as the father of their religion. The three primary monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they view Abraham as the genesis of their belief system. And in some places around the world, if you disrespect Abraham, or Ibrahim, as he's called in some places, you will be put to death because those folks believe he's that important. Now, Abraham is indeed listed in the genealogy of Jesus. 
And if you, in, if you look at, we start with Adam in Luke's, but Matthew, he chose to start with uh, Abraham. He's the very first one recognized as the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus. And there's some theological reasons, uh, academic reasons that we could look at for that. Primarily, the, Matthew was writing more to a Jewish audience. Luke was dry, uh, writing more to a general audience. So there's no more significant man that has ever lived outside of Christ than Father Abraham. So how is it that we are connected to Abraham is the question. How is it that we can have the same kind of faith as someone as awesome as Abraham? Now how can, how can we have that kind of faith that is described as being credited as righteousness? Now, as I mentioned, if you read Genesis 12 through chapter 25, you might garner a different view of Abraham because Abraham was not considered righteous because he was a man of integrity, for instance. He was not necessarily an awesome man of integrity. He was not necessarily an honest man. He was not monogamous. He wasn't a great man because he's wealthy. He accumulated a, a lot of wealth, a lot of sheep and goats. He was a great businessman. But he wasn't considered righteous for being wealthy, and he wasn't considered righteous for being powerful. He was not a smooth operator during his life, according to Genesis 12 through 25. Matter of fact, once he scammed the most powerful man on the face of the planet at the time, Pharaoh, to build up his own possessions. Twice, he lied about Sarah. She was Sarai at one point, being his sister, so that he could save his own skin. Here, you, here Sarah, you save me. Three times, Abraham would marry and have children after God promised him a single heir that would bring blessings to the world. Why get married three times if you, if you don't have to, right? Four times, at least, he made sketchy business moves to protect his wealth and property. And five times, he proved himself powerful enough to take care of his large family and his servants. Yet, every time Sarah nagged at him, he yielded to her nagging. And her advice wasn't always good. He was not the perfect example of a godly man based upon these things we talked about. Yet every New Testament writer refers to Abraham and his concept of faith. He is mentioned as many times as Moses in the New Testament and was the pride of the Hebrew nation. If you were a Jew, you were a child of Abraham by blood. So what was he? Was he an average man whose faith in the promise of God was not fully realized or integrated into his decisions? Or was he an awesome father figure and hope of the Hebrew nation? Now our connection to Abraham is discovered when we answer that question, awesome or average. Now take a year to truly investigate the life of Abraham and all that was said about him. And the volumes of research and commentary offered to us about Abraham already, it would take us a lifetime to read through. So there's just no way to process it. Not in the time that we've made available. 
But to boil down the importance of Abraham and our connection to him, we must first consider the covenant God made with him described in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 9. If you have your Bibles, find that or get on your app, Genesis 17, 1 through 9. This is important. I want you to just believe me when I say it. And of course, normally I'm reading this off my computer screen and uh, I'm reading it off paper. The letters are smaller and this is in red, so it's hard for me to see. So you're going to have to pardon me while I don my glasses. That didn't help. It's the reflection. Okay, here we go. Verse 1, chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, this is important, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Now, what have we been talking about from the narrative from the very beginning? Adam and Eve, they called on the name of the Lord. They walked with God in fear. Uh, they were honorable in that. No found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We talked about the principles and the patterns. God does not change. He wants the same thing from us that he wanted from Adam and Eve and Seth and Enoch and Methuselah and Lamech and Noah and uh, Eber and Peleg and Terah and Abraham. He wants the same thing from us all. He wants us to walk faithfully and be blameless. It's just another way of saying, calling upon the name of the Lord and walking faithfully. Number two, verse two. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make new nations of you, and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. What was his covenant with him? Well, we know uh, there was an immediate, but the specific thing God wanted him to do was walk before me faithfully and be blameless. God said, if we walk before him faithfully and are blameless like Abraham, he will make our lives fruitful. Now, the Bible in the New Testament talks about a lot of things. It gives this picture. It teaches us that we will, if we follow the principles of the scripture, we will be effective and productive. We have the Galatians picture where we have the fruit of the spirit that will bear these things, love, joy, peace, patience, when we walk by the spirit. God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be a blessing to our world around us. And the lesson that we learn from Abraham is that the best way to do that is to walk faithfully before the Lord and be blameless. Now you might wonder how Abraham understood this covenant or the depth of his insight into its meaning. But Jesus said in John, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it. And was glad. So in some way, Abraham could see that this, his seed 
would be the source of the fulfillment of this promise. He had the short-term and long-term perspective in which in his current situation, just having a son who would become his heir appeared implausible. He's 99 years old. He's an old man. Married to an old lady. I wonder if Sarah was the first old lady. No, they probably didn't ride motorcycles. Okay. So we have, you guys are, that was funny. I thought that was a good one. The people at home are laughing, I can tell. So you have Abraham, he's an old man. Sarah, she's past giving, having children. God makes this promise. So it's got to be implausible to him that he's going to have kids. And inhabiting a promised land, that has seemed impossible. There are already people there in this land. But having faith that God would do it beyond what he could ask or imagine is what made him awesome. He believed. He had faith. He didn't know how it was going to work out day by day, but he had faith. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, we see that the, uh, to, to what extent... Excuse me. He could see the coming of the fulfillment 2,000 years later. It's hard to tell. We don't know if he actually saw Jesus or if he just could believe in what God was saying. But we have no question that Christ was the fulfillment of this, uh, this covenant. Now, Abraham might not have thought, okay, he's talking about Jesus or he's talking about the Messiah. Those kinds of terminologies wouldn't come along until the law, after the period of the law. So here we have... The, here we have Paul talking to the Ephesians explaining the importance of uh, this covenant. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So Abraham, he was the beginning, and Jesus was the fulfillment. Abraham was the one that the promise of being fruitful or him being blessed by God because he was going to walk faithfully before, before him and be blameless. The start was with Abraham. The fulfillment was with Christ Jesus. And that's how we are connected through Christ to Abraham. And our connection with Abraham is that we are average people. And like Abraham, we struggle with integrity, honesty, monogamy, greed, and insecurity, just like he did. But we become as awesome as he when we rely on one little word, faith. When we choose to see the story of God in our life instead of the deception of Satan. Now, the story of God in our lives is this, is that if we walk with him, we know that the Spirit work all things together for our good. 
when we are called according to his purpose. What does that mean? Well, it means that you can go through life without the anxiety and stress of everyone else who has to try to control everything. And you can put your faith and trust in God. You can honor him. You can walk faithfully and be blameless before him and know that he is going to make you fruitful. He's going to bless your life. He's going to bless your family. Abraham believed that, and that's how it was credited to him. Now, Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 through 9, and then verse 14 spells it out. Galatians 3. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All the nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now why that's important is because the Hebrews, the Jews... They didn't believe that anyone could be a child of Abraham other than those who were of Hebrew descent. They took great pride in being the fulfillment of the Genesis 17 blessing. But the New Testament writers understood that that promise that all the nations would be blessed was to suggest that not just the Jews, but the Gentiles would also. That means everybody else. And Ephesians deals with that. We talked about it a few weeks ago, where Jesus broke down the wall of hostility and makes us all one. We're all one big happy family. So just to be clear, it was not Abraham, the imperfect man, who would be the nexus of blessing to all nations. It would be Jesus Christ, the perfect man who would fulfill the promise beyond a simple strip of land in the Middle East to an eternal home with God in heaven. Abraham served the purpose of being the object through whom this great story would begin, but Jesus was always the subject of the promise. Now, I mentioned earlier the three main, the, the three main monotheistic religions of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Islam recognizes Abraham, as father of all the nations, and his son Ishmael, who was the forefather of Muhammad. And they, who, they would, by force, make all people children of Abraham. And we see that, you see that take form in some of the Muslim nations where they are strict to the Quran. You either believe or you become like us, or will it... So by force, they believe they need to make everybody Abraham's children. The Jews, they practice Judaism. They recognize Abraham as the father of the Hebrew nation, as the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those were his legitimate heirs, and only those who are heirs of them are part of the family of Abraham. So it's through family, your children. Christianity recognizes Abraham as the father of many nations who by faith in Christ are made his children. Big difference from it being forced upon someone 
or just being a chance that you're part of the right family than it is to be able to come to that by faith. In virtually all geopolitical struggles in our world today, they stem from confusion over who is Father Abraham. Now today I can only address this from the Christian perspective. It would take till the end of time to unpack the rest, even if we tried. But my concern for you is how you can connect to the awesomeness of Abraham as just an average person. It is clear that faith is our connection to him. And righteousness through a blameless life is our covenant with God. Now, why is such a faith so powerful as to transform our average lives into an awesome promise of blessings for the generations that follow? It is because, like Abraham, we can covenant with God to walk before him faithfully and blamelessly so that our average lives are redeemed and so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, I'd be committing malpractice if I didn't clearly explain what it means to walk faithfully before God. And even more so if I didn't spend some time examining what it means to be blameless in Him. You might say, well, okay, I understand I need to walk before God and I need to be blameless. But what does that mean, Mike? Well, let's see if we can address that. Because Paul already pointed out uh, this to us, is that by faith... We, um, we might receive the promise. So when we are examining this, Paul already pointed it out. It's by faith. He also pointed out that to be holy and blameless, we accept the redemption we receive through the Son by becoming adopted sons. So let's dig into this. Walking or living in faith before the Lord boils down to believing in what we cannot see. Like Abraham, we must have faith in the promise of God, which is connected to our original and eternal purpose. Paul describes it this way. For we know that if this, earth, if this, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed and said with our heavenly dwelling, because we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident to know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. Interesting conversation with my dad via Marco Polo. It's easy to do that way because we can send snippets back and forth. And I can see what's going on with them, but I... Sent one to my mom and dad, said, just checking in, seeing if you guys are under quarantine. Try to stay home because dad likes to go to Walmart every day. Uh, and to, much to my surprise, he's going to Walmart all the time and he's still working at the hospital. 
This is a guy who's had pneumonia probably five times already, struggles with respiratory issues. And so I was telling him, you know, Dad, please, you know, cut back on that. Now, I wish I would show you my response, but I think he was in his underwear when he was sharing it with me, so I better not. But basically what he said to me is an illustration of the fact that he does not live by faith, or he does not live by sight, he lives by faith. He said, if God wants to take me, God can have me, and I'll just look down upon all you all from heaven, and I'll see you again when we're all together there. That doesn't mean my dad has a death wish. He's 80, what, 80-something, almost 85. So he's lived a long life. His granddaughter, Abby, not Abby, Addie, is getting baptized next week, and she asked Grandpa to do it. Now, they got to go down steps. So his goal is to make it another week so he can baptize his granddaughter, Addie, Lord willing, he said. And then something like, they're going to have a party afterwards. He's making barbecue. That sounded good. But he was communicating to me that he's not worried. He knows that he has a home away from this. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about there in 2 Corinthians. We live by faith, not by sight. We know that ultimately God's not talking about this place, not our little piece of property that we might have a deed to that only means that other people recognize that that's our home and it doesn't mean it belongs to us. I could say as a Native American, it all belongs to me. I'm going to come live in your house this week. I'm going to, and that way I, I don't have to sterilize mine. I can come make your house. You sterilize it for me. You guys get ready. Get everything clean. You know, I can make that claim. I, you know, people do that all the time about land. We fuss and fight over different things, but what God is telling us or what Paul's teaching us is the application of Abraham is that we don't live by sight. We live by faith. We're looking forward to something different. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. It means that we are looking for the spiritual fulfillment of promise in life, which is eternity, not temporary. Hebrews teaches us that Abraham lived by faith because he was, quote, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. So when we live by faith and not by sight, we're setting our eyes on things above, not on earthly things, because we have died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God, Colossians chapter 3 says. We've died and we're now hidden with Christ in God. We set our eyes on things above. We set our hearts there because we know that that's where our interest is eternally. The other part of the covenant is to be blameless in his sight. We know that righteousness is based upon redemption. Like Abraham, we're the average ordinary sinners, but we believe in God's redemptive plan. Paul described it this way, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more, knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. How do we know Abraham believed in this kind of way? Because Abraham was God's friend. As James noted, his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now, Abraham had his fair share of errors in judgment, as do we. But the covenant he made with God was transformative. It allowed him to fulfill his calling to make the right moves at the right time that allowed the gospel message to prevail as part of God's long-term plan 
even though it wouldn't happen for 2,000 years. Now let me ask you this question. Is your faith that patient? Is your faith patient enough to last? Now Abraham was 99. He goes on and lives for a few, a few more years after this. And so after this, he has children, or he has, um, after this, um, there, are a lot, there are a lot of things that happen to him in his life. And he had to, to keep his focus on what God's promise was to him here in Genesis chapter 17. Now, the covenant of promised land for Abraham's descendants was always based upon the archetype of heaven and eternity. So we only sell ourselves short when we settle for stereotypes of promised lands which appeal to our familial or national uh, heritage. I love being American. God bless America. But this world's not my home. I'm passing through. My real home is in heaven. And that's what Abraham was able to maintain in his faith and allowed him then to do the things that he needed to do even though he made mistakes along the way. Some believe America is a type of promised land. As some believe the land of Israel is the promised land, and so they fight over it. But in reality, heaven is the promised land to which Abraham traveled. None of us will ever be as important as Abraham, but we don't have to be. We just must, we just must covenant with God through Jesus Christ to walk faithfully and live blamelessly. And if, you do, and if you need help in exploring how to apply these truths in your life, let's sit down and talk about it. Let's reason together. But I think you know what that means. Now, you know there's nothing like a little coronavirus to remind us that no matter where you are in the world, all of us are susceptible to the very same things. And they're things you cannot see. Let me ask you a question, but are they real? Now, I have to trust the doctors and people who work in labs, and, of course, I see that little picture of the variety. Has it got up there? Yeah, there it is. This will forever haunt our dreams, I guess. Do you believe in coronavirus? Anyone? Yes? No? Is there anyone who does not believe there's a coronavirus? Okay, if you don't believe, then... Why are we acting like we do? The reason we're acting like we do on something that we can't even see is because of faith, belief. We believe it's true. And so we've rearranged our whole lives. We're, you know, elbow bumping. And I'm not sure why that's... seems like you're getting momentum with the disease going that way if you're... Um, so we're avoiding handshakes, and that's all fine. I'm glad to do that. But... The coronavirus just reminds us that even though there's something that we cannot see, it can still kill you. The truth of the matter is, is that we should draw some commonality around the world, but it should also remind us this world is not our destination. It is a temporary land in which we live. It is fraught with disease and sickness and death. But God gives us an eternal home where that's not true. And the promise made to Abraham, when we believe it and live according to it, is what gets us to that final destination. But if we don't share in his faith and walk in Christ's redemption, 
we won't get there. So the simple solution is for us, as Abraham was chosen for his faith, so that he could journey to a better country, a land of promise, hope and eternity, is for us to choose the same narrative, the same story. That God blesses all the nations of the earth through his seed, which is Jesus. And it's Jesus who helps us to be holy and blameless in God's sight. Because God's not so much concerned about certain things in our life when we are living set apart for him and we are covered by the blood of his son, Christ Jesus, in forgiveness. That's why we keep talking about the My 7 to Heaven project. You remember that we told the story of Noah. Noah got his seven on the ark. We are, I think I'll have to see if uh, James Reynolds is still going to do his little, uh, he was uh, planning on doing a, a thing to, um, to teach about that, give a more in-depth insight into that. But um, when we think about this idea of getting our seven to heaven, the only reason we do that is if we live by faith, not by sight. If we believe in the story of Abraham as the one who was pointing towards Christ. And believe that he was the fulfillment that gets us to heaven. After a week like this, when we have been um, encouraged to take extreme precautions. Based upon data that there is a virus surrounding all of us that could lead to death for some of us. It reminds us that life is frail. And we better have a plan for something beyond this world. And we better plan if we, just like we care about those who are around us and we're taking precautions so we don't make them sick, maybe we should take some precautions to make sure that they are well. Well with God. Holy and blameless. Going with us to heaven. Now we do know this. Abraham's in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. The fulfillment of that promise is there. I hope you want to be in heaven too. And you want to bring others with you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful today for this opportunity. Both here and then with our church family who is watching via Facebook. Technology willing there. But we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for us to join together and study your word. And I pray that we might... Enjoy your protection, your healing power over us, that you just wash over us with that. But we also know that whatever happens, that your spirit is working within us, that all things work together for our good, that the most important thing that we do is to maintain our faith, to be holy and blameless, to walk with you, to claim the redemption of Christ Jesus in our life, do what we can to get others to heaven. Bless us with wisdom towards that particular end. It's a simple part of the story, a simple part of the narrative, and it calms and quiets many of the other voices around us that are trying to confuse us. So bless us in that, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, let all God's people say,